Welcome to the Moz Monthly Podcast. Thorough discussion and in-depth information about the news, stories, and trends related to emergency medical services in Michigan. The Moz Monthly Podcast is brought to you by the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services. Here's your host, Moz Executive Director, Angela Madden. Hello, everybody. My name is Craig Dodge. And as you can tell already, I am not Angela. Angela is here with me, and I am guest hosting today for the Moss Monthly Podcast. And this came about because Angela and I had been talking about the Moss Monthly Podcast, and uh, I was excited to hear the podcast because I am a dedicated podcast listener. And so I had reached out to Angela to let her know that I thought the podcast was great. And we came up with this idea of doing a guest host. So I am your guest host today. Angela, I'm, I'm turning the tables on her. Angela is the guest because I thought it would be nice not only for us to learn about Angela, but let's learn about Moss as well and the role that Moss plays in um, Michigan in the EMS industry. So, Angela, welcome to your own podcast. Hey, Craig. Thanks so much for joining us on the Moz Monthly Podcast. I am so excited to have you as our guest host. Not going to lie, I'm a little nervous about having the tables turned on me, though. Ah, so well, go easy on me. I will maybe do that. <laughs> um, I probably should tell everybody, just since I'm guest hosting, that I am a paramedic. I've been in EMS in Michigan for a long time. And uh, I currently serve as vice president of resource delivery for Life EMS out of Grand Rapids. Basically, that means I'm VP of operations. Um, I actually still do get out on the truck a little bit and work in the field. Obviously, I've known about Moss for a long time, and I'm excited to host the podcast today. I hope I'll learn something new about Moss today. That's great. I am. I can't tell you, Craig, I know we've had several discussions about you coming on the podcast and, and now you as our guest host. I've really enjoyed your perspective, both as a practitioner out in the field and as somebody on the operation side of an agency as to what type of topics really will, you know, will interest our listeners and, and where can we provide some additional education. So I really think this is a great first step, and I think we have a really good collaboration moving forward and to make the Moz Monthly Podcast the best that we can. Absolutely, and you've been very open to you know some ideas and stuff. I tried to brainstorm a, a long list and uh, give you some you know some ideas, and hopefully you've got a lot of great topics for the next few months to keep you busy. So definitely. Well, uh, first off. I understand maybe today is a special day for you. Today, we are recording Friday, March 12th, and today is my birthday. Well, happy birthday. I won't tell birthday. you what number. Of course not. But <laughs> happy birthday to you. I hope it's a special day. Thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's a beautiful day. The sun is out. I couldn't ask for a better day. Well, it would probably be a great day to go for a balloon ride. Maybe a little bit cold. It's a little windy today. Cold, I okay. can handle. The wind, we okay. can't do. Okay. Well, and that is something that I learned about you, that uh, you are, uh, what is it called? A balloonist? I'm a balloonist. A uh, yep, yep, a balloonist. And I do carry a private pilot, pilot's license uh, with its FAA certification. 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, good for you. Well, thank you so much. It's a, it's a hobby that I have come to love. I kind of grew up with it. Uh, I grew up in Jackson. The town has a hot air balloon event every July. So I, you know, as a kid, I grew up going to the event. Then I, when I was old enough, I started volunteering for the event with my, uh, with my mom. Actually, we both would volunteer. And I got to meet some absolutely fantastic people, pilots themselves, in fact. And once you meet a pilot, it's, you know, it's a kind of a funny story in ballooning. Usually your first balloon ride comes because you're helping another pilot. One lands in your yard. They'll give you a short little tether. And your next balloon ride usually costs you the, the price of your own equipment. And that is typically how the story works. You know, for me, I was very involved and crewed for several different pilots growing up. Ended up moving out of town, you know, lived in Washington, D.C. for a few years and came back home to Michigan and immediately got back into ballooning, bought my own equipment, and then was able uh, to get my pilot's license in 2019 and uh, have been loving flying myself ever since. That is awesome. So on a typical summer, how many times do you fly? You know, that is a really interesting question. And I would say we calculate our time in hours. So how many hours of flight time do we get? Each balloon flight can be, depending on the weather, anywhere between a half hour to maybe an hour and a half on a cooler day. But I, I would say probably 15 to 20 would be average. Um, last year, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, you know, we started the season late. Not quite sure how people would react to us landing in their backyard. Uh, so I was only able to fly 11 hours last year, but I've uh, already been out once uh, already this season. And so hoping to really build on that. Great. Well, make sure you're safe at all times. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So you are already telling us a little bit about Angela. And so before we talk about Moss, let's learn a little bit more about you. You serve as the executive director of Moss. So tell us a little bit about your career and how you ended up at Moss. Absolutely. So when I look back on it, it, you know, it's kind of a little bit accidental, and a little bit intentional, both. So I am a, uh, graduated from Michigan State in 2001, graduated from the George Washington University in DC in 2005, I believe. I don't remember off the top of my head. And then came back home to Michigan in 2007, late 2007. So prior to going to DC, Right after graduation, I got a job at the Small Business Association of Michigan. It was a low-level government affairs position, an assistance position, working directly with their association lobbyists and their multi-clients. And that's what kind of got my feet wet. From there, I moved into a more um, dedicated policy position in Washington, D.C. for an organization called the American Waterways Operators. Uh, AWO represents the tugboat, towboat, and barge industry in our nation, which is extremely um, active, both nationally and at the state levels. And then when I moved home back to Michigan, I came home, um, I was the uh, director of legislative affairs for the Michigan Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. So the organizations that move beer and wine from the manufacturers to the store shelves where you and I buy um, our products today. After uh, leaving uh, beer and wine, I did a a shorter stint at the Department of Human Services. Now, at the time, I took a position at DHS that was pre-merger, um, worked at DHS through the DHS-DCH merger with, into what is now known as MDHHS, and uh, through a did mostly policy-related items there. Uh, I got to work on some really 
really worthy items of legislation. And I really enjoyed that position. But I, I realized fairly quickly at the department that the association, the trade association world was really my niche. And, and I was itching to get back. Um, the position at Moz uh, came open um, and I began at, uh, at Moz. So you have a, a, a good background there of both representing um, organizations as well as some time within the state government, which really probably gives you a good insight into how the state government operates, uh, legislative affairs, that kind of thing, which I would imagine really helps for your current position. You know, it, that time that I spent with the department was absolutely valuable. I would not trade that for the world. It really did help me grow professionally. It wasn't where I was meant to be. You know, that type of bureaucratic environment just was not for me. So I didn't fit well personally within the entity. But th- what I learned throughout my time there is was instrumental in where I am today and what I can provide to Moz and to EMS agencies around our state. Yeah, great. So you've been with Moss since uh, 2015, right? And uh, I'm sure it's interesting every day. So tell us a little bit about what uh, what a typical day or a typical week is like as the Moss Executive Director. You know that's a great question, and probably one of my favorite things about working in in the association environment. There is no day that is the same as the day before. And so it really keeps you fresh. It really allows you to um, dip your toes into many different items. So some days are spent on, on a lot of administrative, re- you know, related items, whether that being doing dues, you know, renewals, um, assisting people with access to our website, uh, sending out registration emails for our upcoming EMS Expo. So that's a highly administrative function of the job. I spend the majority of my time doing more policy related things, having one-on-one conversations with legislators, with our partners in the EMS division, having one-on-one conversations with my counterparts at other trade associations that we work directly with. And that may be customers or directly or direct clients of any EMS agency around, around the state. It could be the municipalities, it could be the hospitals, it could be um, your suppliers and your vendors. And so it's, it really does add and have a, a really broad element, and I am never bored. I also spend a lot of time talking directly to members. I wish I could be out on the road and actually be in your buildings right now, um, because that is where I do get, I do learn a lot. But I spend sure. a lot of time talking one-on-one with members, trying to figure out what's going on out in the field. What can I help fix? What can I help kind of move through the process if there's something stuck? And more like troubleshooting. I can understand how with the, the pandemic going on, that would be frustrating because uh, being out and being with your constituents is very important. And, and that's really where you're going to really learn what's going on, right? So that's, that's exactly right. There just isn't, uh, there isn't a replacement, you know, for being there and actually physically being able to see the, the equipment on a truck and, and looking to see maybe how tired your crews are when they come back from a long shift to be able to adequately relay that message and, and what's happening to legislators and our administrative partners. So I'm a little bit curious when you started in 2015, uh, you were new to the ambulance industry. So uh, how was that transition and did it take you a while? 
to really get up to speed on the ins and outs of the ambulance business and what was going on in the industry? It, it really did. And, you know, it probably the first six months that I was on, it was education for me. And that's what I focused on. Sure. And it was extremely in-depth education. You know, when I came on board in 2015, I had no idea what ALS meant. I didn't know ALS was different from BLS. I didn't know the difference between an EMT and a paramedic. There are a lot of people out there that's, that do not know those differences. So as someone who's not a practitioner, not a clinician, I think it does give me a little bit of credence to say, you know, I had to learn this too. Here's a way that I've, you know, I've learned it. Here's a way that I've remembered it. Let me help explain this to you in non-clinician terms. But yeah, it took me probably six months of really in-depth knowledge. And I spent that first six months, I spent probably the first three months with my head down, just going through old paperwork kind of going through all the files that were handed over to me from my predecessors. And then I probably spent the three months after that in buildings, really trying to see, you know, what what happens out there, getting my hands on, learning then that there's there's education programs and there's there's this kind of there's a BLS agency, there's an ALS agency, and well let's talk up, let's add in this thing called critical care and really trying to hone what I had learned, what was already on paper. Okay. Now you mentioned looking through, you know, some old records and stuff. And as we transition maybe to talking um, specifically about MOS, uh, I I don't know the answer to this. Do you know how old is MOS? How long has it been around in Michigan? Absolutely. So MOS was formulated, the Articles of Incorporation were signed in August of 1968. Really? Yes. That long ago? I, I honestly would not have guessed that. Yes. I thought you were going to say something like, you know, 1982 or something like that. So that is really interesting. Yes, it was. It's been around, obviously, so 1960, if I'm doing my math correctly, that's 53 years, almost 50. So we're in 52, almost to our 53rd anniversary. And EMS Expo is on year 46 of that. Okay. Okay. Yep. Wow. That is, that is pretty impressive. So a long track record. Long and positive still, track record. Yes, and still going strong today. Yes. Awesome. Well, give us an overview of MAS then, and what what role does MAS play in the EMS industry in Michigan? MAS, the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services, we are a nonprofit trade association. And what that means in trade association lingo for other nonprofit entities, you've probably heard of foundations, universities are nonprofits, hospitals are nonprofit, most of them are nonprofits. So MAS represents ambulance agencies throughout the state. And it is for us, it's basically everybody, but any but a fire-based agency, and the only re- and fire-based agencies can join the the organization, but not as a voting member. And the only reason is, that is is because we didn't want to pull their membership away from the fire chiefs association to which they already, most part, already belong. So it's yep. just you know not wanting to tread on anybody's turf. So that includes. Nonprofit agencies, for-profit agencies, uh, municipally owned third service, municipally owned authorities, um, and everybody in between that is not a fire-based EMS agency licensed under Section 20920. Okay. So what we do is kind of everything that we've talked about. You know, we provide for the, the, the big ticket items. We provide lobbying and education for EMS agencies. Uh, we also provide our probably our most active committee 
is our reimbursement committee and is the one that we, like I said, the most active and, and that does the most on a very regular basis. They engage and interact with our payers to ensure that, you know, your reimbursements are maintained at the level that they should be maintained. So do you know how many member organizations there are off the I, top of I, your head? Yep, we have 72 member organizations right now. Um, now, so statewide, there are approximately 300 transporting EMS agencies. The 72 EMS agencies that are members of ours is almost everybody that is not fire-based. Uh, we cover 96% of the geographic territory of the state. Okay, awesome. Excellent. Yep. So you are really representing the industry. We try to. We, we yep. really do. And it has been my mission, uh, my personal mission since coming on board to, to make sure that our board of directors and our committees are representative of the industry across the state, that we have a good mixture of large agencies, small agencies, municipal, rural, urban, for-profit, nonprofit, so that we do have, when an issue comes up, we have a conversation that incorporates everybody. Mm-hmm. And again, speak to some of the main services that that MAS provides then for members such as EMS Expo. You mentioned a moment ago education. So yeah. So EMS Expo, we 2021 is year 46 of EMS Expo with the little asterisk since 2020 couldn't happen. Right. And that we provide EMS Expo MAS partners with our counterparts at the Michigan EMS Practitioners Association to provide continuing education courses uh, to practitioners at an extremely reasonable price. Typically, we will offer about 20 credits for a two and a half day event. We pack them in tight. We offer some networking and people walk away with what we think are some really great learn it with some good learning and seeing some speakers that they wouldn't typically see and are able to, you know, have good quality credits um, under their belt. This year, EMS Expo is going virtual, and we aren't able to offer quite as many. We didn't think people would appreciate two and a half days, so we've shortened it to just a two-day program. We're still offering about 13 credits in those two days, and we do think we have a really good speaker lineup. We've got some great national speakers on board now that they can join via Zoom. I hope that with the lack of credits available throughout the pandemic and the inability of people to meet particularly those practitioners that don't work in a in an agency with an education program, we can still get them the credits that they need for the year in order to maintain their license. We also offer not just expo, but we also offer periodic uh, webinars throughout the year. Um, some of the ones that we do more frequently, uh, we do a reimbursement one very regularly. We've had one, uh, we've done one on ET3 one on uh, cost data reporting, which is another important topic. Uh, We will have one coming up on cost data reporting again. And we try to offer things that are prominent in the industry right now that we think would be um, beneficial to agencies, and not necessarily just their executive leadership, but maybe to their their billing staff, maybe their operations staff. So that's the education piece. I think that and our lobbying are the two biggest benefits that Moz 
offers. Uh, and I think we do it very, very well. We have some other, you know, one-offs that are just as important to the organization because they provide Maz non-dues revenue. Anybody, any agency out there that utilizes the Speedway Super Fleet program, which gives you a reduced cost at the at the gas pump for you to fill your trucks, Maz does get um, a slight uh, royalty uh, for those for those uses. Also, anytime you purchase products through the SAVIC buying program, Maz does receive um, royalties for that as well. And those non-dues revenues, as well as registration fees from, from the webinars and EMS Expo, supplement that our dues, which then, you know, are able to keep prices and things down and we're able right. to balance what we're able to offer. Okay. Uh, one specific question I have about EMS Expo uh, because of what's happened during the pandemic. Um, I am an IC and I'm a little bit concerned because I'm going to have a hard time getting my credits. So I, I imagine as normal, there are IC credits available during Expo. That's a great question, Craig. And in fact, I just met with that committee this morning and we have we have several IC credits. I think we have seven and we're trying to get eight on right. the books on the books for the ICs out there because I believe, unfortunately, the IC Society wasn't able to hold their conference this year as well. So I'm hoping to be able to reach out to them, try to partner with them, and, and maybe we can put on some additional learning opportunities for the ICs out there as well within Expo, but but even outside of Expo, um, if there's a way for us to partner with them to help the ICs get their credits. I think that would be great because, uh, I, like I said, I'm a little bit concerned. I have less than a year to go before I have to renew. And um, I, I'm guessing if the IC Society is able to hold their fall conference, that it will maybe be the biggest ever because <laughs> lots of people are going to be needing those credits. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I feel I, I feel your pain. Um, like I said, I hope to have, we hope to have seven or eight. We have seven for sure. We're hoping to get eight um, on board, all of them. How many uh, uh, instructional techniques? And we've got, I think we've got four EA credits, educational administration credits. I know those are hard to get. I think we've got four of them scheduled and on the books already. Sounds great. I will be, I'll be participating. You Excellent. can count on that. So. Excellent. Well, so Tell us about um, doing the podcast. What uh, what prompted the idea to do the podcast? You know, it just came about as another way to provide information. I am an avid podcast listener as well as you, as, as you and I have talked about previously in our conversations. And when I started searching for EMS-related podcasts, everything I came up with was clinical and which is great i think that's fantastic anybody in a truck can pop up uh, you know something clinical and and hear some what's the what's the new news what's the what's the new piece of equipment how do you use it things like that but i thought you know we're missing we're missing this segment of the ems industry those that are in leadership those that are in operations those that maybe work in dispatch there, there's just a large segment of the ems population out there that might appreciate getting some of this other information in another format not to mention I don't know how you feel about getting a whole bunch of e-blasts in your email inbox, but I'm I'm kind of tired of sending them. So I thought, okay, so let's try disseminating some of this information that I would normally pop into an e-blast through a quick 20 to 30 minute podcast episode. And let's have some really good guests on and, and see how it goes. And I've got to tell you, it's it's 
the reviews that have come in have been phenomenal. I am extremely grateful that it has caught on, at least here in the state um, so far. Well, yeah, I'll share with the listeners that I also am huge into listening to podcasts. I subscribe to probably 50 or 60 different pods, and I listen to them every single day. And I want to share a little tip. I imagine probably a lot of the listeners know this, but just in case you don't, one of the keys to podcast listening, if you want to try this, is you can speed them up and listen to them fast. So I typically listen to podcasts at about double speed. Sometimes if the, the host or the person being interviewed on the podcast if they like talk really fast or they have an accent, I have to slow it down a little bit. But generally, I listen to them fast. And what's funny about that is when you hear somebody then talking normal, it's like, why are you talking so slow? Because <laughs> you kind of get used to that. And the other thing that's awesome about podcasts is you can listen to them like anywhere. When you're driving, when you're flying a balloon, you could listen to a podcast. Most of us probably wouldn't do that. But, you know, uh, mowing the lawn, it's just, it makes it for me easy to occupy some time. And I'm not having to sit in front of a computer and read like, like if you get an email blast. It's funny you say that, Craig, because I only listen to podcasts at one and a half times speed. I tried my hand at double. It wasn't quite there yet, but maybe I'll have to have to try it again and see how I can do. But I, I'm the same way. You know, I my kids are actually physically in school right now and we live about 27 minutes away from school. So I especially on my drive back home, I can get a whole half hour episode in typically. Definitely while I am sitting here, you know, working, I'll have one playing in the background as well. And it's just better than having Netflix or YouTube on. Absolutely. It's a really good source of information. So, so, so far you have used the Moz Monthly podcast for, uh, to highlight a few different topics such as billing and reimbursement. And you've already mentioned that that's, you know, that's always a, a, a hot button issue. Um, you've talked about COVID, the pandemic and vaccines specifically. Uh, which was great. You've talked about um, education issues, as well as some rural EMS issues. So what are some of the main initiatives that Moss is really focused on right now that are taking your time? I got to tell you, Craig, there's really one thing that's absolutely driving what what Moz is working on right now, and that's data and the lack of quality data that we have. Now, the EMS division has taken some really good steps to help enhance the data that is being collected, whether it be your run data or other agency data, number of transports, things like that. That's all coming in through your PCRs. So we're able to build things off of what we have. Now that the e-licensing portal is also live, we have more information about what what the provider population is out there, which is a key part of one of Moz's main goals and objectives this year. And that is to really, really drive recruitment and retention in our industry. Our industry is I'm going to say dying a very slow death because we are now losing more paramedics in particular a year than we are gaining them. And anybody could point fingers as to what the cause was or what the, you know, what it was that that started that trend. 
it, it could be anything. It could be the difficulty of the job. It, it could be, you know, COAMS accreditation. It could be national registry. It could be the millennials just don't, you know, the new generation just, they don't want to sit standby in a, in a 15 by eight box for hours on end and they want more um, work-life balance. There's, there's so many things that are coming into the recruitment and retention issues that in order for us to really figure out what it is and how we can enhance and how we can get more people into the field, we, we just need to know why people are leaving. We need to know who we have. And hopefully now that things are becoming more electronic, we'll, we'll be able to do that. So recruitment and retention is item number one, and we need that data to drive that. So some of the topics that you're going to see the Moz Monthly podcast continue to focus on this year are both of those, data and then recruitment and retention. The, the other piece that Moz is really focusing on right now is reimbursement. And we have a very large legislative initiative going on, and we have asked the state legislature to commit $10 million of general fund money directly to EMS to enhance and increase Medicaid reimbursement rates. With that $10 million, we believe that the federal drawdown, the federal match, it's called FMAP in legislative terms, will give us enough combined, the 10 million plus the federal drawdown will give us enough to bring Medicaid rates in line with Medicare. And that parity we believe will go a long way in helping increase the industry, enhance the industry to a point where we can increase pay, we can recruit new people in monetarily, and then we can begin to to end that vicious cycle of losing more paramedics than we are gaining. Absolutely, you are exactly on the right track. And um, as somebody who is in a leadership role in an EMS agency, I can tell you that I am scared. Uh, Many of the other EMS leaders that I speak to are also scared about what's going to happen in the next year or two with our staffing. And uh, we all understand from the budgetary standpoint how really reimbursement is going to drive our ability to um, compete because that's what's happening is is, um, other industries, um, other healthcare positions are, are, you know, they're outdoing us, they're paying better, um, offering better working conditions, and they're, they're taking our people. You know, and a lot of people don't know, you, you are absolutely correct. A lot of people don't know that the Affordable Care Act uh, included uh, incentives for hospitals to hire paramedics to work in the emergency department. Now, they're not working as a paramedic. They're working as a technician there. But the skill set that a paramedic has is extremely valuable to the EDs. And just sure. like you said, the pay is better. The working conditions are a heck of a lot better. They're not in a blizzard on the side of 131, are they? They're in, they're tucked into an ED. So that is something that we're fighting also. It's not just aging out. It's not retirements. It's not bodies giving out on the job. All of those happen, but we are competing against other industries also. Yep, absolutely. Angela, tell us about the the board of directors. Um, Like any association, a nonprofit association, you have a board of directors. Uh, Essentially, you as the executive director report to that board. So Tell us a little bit about their role and and how you interact with the board. Absolutely. So you're right. There are 17 of them. And as one entity, they are my boss. And 
they represent, uh, as I kind of alluded to earlier, uh, they represent all different types si and sizes of agencies. We meet monthly and they direct the policy and the fiduciary responsibilities of the organization. So it's it's their responsibility to ensure that I am operating the organization in a fiduci fiduciarily sound way, financially sound way, um, ensuring that dollars paid in, their dollars paid in via dues and other dollars that we received are being used to support EMS agencies around the state through our own policies and programming. So, you know, everything from overseeing um, not just myself, but then the work that we have a contract lobby firm, a multi-client lobby firm. On staff, we have a public relations firm, and, and we use our time together to really look at the big picture items and how we want to drive the conversation about EMS in our state. Then I take that those big pictures and we work out how, okay, what are some of the actions that we can do and what are the steps that we need to take to drive them? Do we need to flush anything out a little bit further at the committee level? Do we have enough information about certain things and how it will affect certain types of agencies that maybe we need to do a little bit more outreach or how will it affect or in intentionally or unintentionally affect some of our counterparts and our customers throughout the state. So whether that be a payer, a hospital, a municipality, how, how does it affect everybody else and what do we need to do to move forward to enhance that policy? Now, again, like most associations, a lot of the work gets done by committees and yes. you've already mentioned in our discussion today, uh, the committees. So tell us a little bit about the committees and what they're up to. Yeah, we have four extremely active standing committees. So these committees work year round. Uh, the reimbursement committee is the one that I've already mentioned, and they are one of the most active. So they meet every other month. They're a wide representation of billing professionals within agencies, not just within the agency, but we also have representatives on that committee that work with billing companies, which has been, which has proved essential in our discussion. And we help people work through some of the issues that they may be having. If they have a denial from payer X, for example, it's likely that somebody else in the state has already worked through that and we can share best practices on how to make sure that we are providing claims to our payers the correct way and the way that makes sense. At the same time, we are also holding our payers accountable to make sure that they are not erroneously denying claims via their individual policies or misapplying Medi Medicare policies typically what happens. And then we work together as a committee and as a statewide entity to, to help correct those. We have a much louder voice as a, as a large entity versus you as an individual, as Life EMS, for example, picking up at the phone and, and trying to get in touch with Blue Cross. Not to disparage Blue Cross, they are actually wonderful partners, but they were the first example that came to my mind. Me being right. able to present them with claims examples from multiple agencies for, for one thing versus you just submitting a small handful of claims to any payer just has a much larger impact. And it yep. has been extremely successful, extremely successful. Another really active committee is our legislative committee. That committee meets monthly to talk about any existing or newly introduced legislation that has uh, come out throughout uh, through our legislative partners. And they also assist with the development of legislation that we would like to put forth. I typically and, and our lobbyist partner uh, typically will will write the majority of that or work to correct, but there are sometimes nuances that 
that we just don't pick up on and and we need actual agency representatives to really look through that and how it would right. impact and how it would play out in their in your daily yep. life. We have our professional standards committee which deals with almost everything else that you could think of from an agency's perspective. I think last year on their docket, they dealt with everything from mental health transports to remount configurations and and specifications to ethics. I mean, their, their work is just so broad stroke and the committee makeup of that, that committee is, is, I, I just have a hard time envisioning, you know, all the every time who is on it and and what their specialty is, but they are absolutely specialists in each of their individual slices of the EMS pie on that committee. And they too are very, very busy. I'm blanking on the last committee. Oh, education committee. We've already talked about EMS Expo. Oh my gosh. I yes. Sorry, guys, I'm a year older today. Um, The education committee is our fourth committee, and their main job is to plan uh, EMS Expo every year. But they do also um, put forth uh, some webinars and some other items, some other educational pieces. It doesn't have to be a webinar. I'm just living in our pandemic life right right now. But yeah, no, their main job is EMS Expo and putting on any other educational needs that we may have uh, throughout the state. So in our discussion today, we've, we've touched on some of the other organizations in Michigan. There's a lot of other organizations that are uh, related to EMS. So tell us a little bit about um, what are some of the other organizations in Michigan that MAS works very uh, closely with? Yeah, you, think- you mentioned the, the uh, EMS Practitioners. The practitioners. Yeah, Moz works very closely. I have a number of counterparts that I am in regular contact with here within our state. And of course, you know, our Michigan EMS Practitioners Association, MIAMSPA, being probably the closest. They are, as you as you know, Craig, the, the road crew, the paramedics and EMTs working um, in, in your agency and other agencies, you know, around the state every day. With them, we also work I have counterparts at the municipal level. So the Michigan Municipal League, the Michigan Association, the Michigan Townships Association, uh, the Michigan Association of Counties, and their multi-client lobbyists. Also the Michigan Association of Fire Chiefs, the Fire Union, the other uh, EMSCC, uh, the Emergency Medical Services Coordinating Committee Stakeholder Groups, the IC Society, um, is another one that's extremely important. And and there's a couple of new ones, you know, the Pharmacists Association, the Emergency Nurses. There's a trade association for everything, Craig. There's even a trade association for trade association professionals. So, you know, we try. I try to make sure that I have a really good working relationship um, with somebody in in each of those organizations, at least somebody that will answer my phone call and return my email. Nationally, you know, and our EMT, the uh, the National Registry, we've got the AAA, the American Ambulance Association. And so we try to stay in touch with, keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening nationally so that we can jump in and support their efforts uh, when they need us as well. And there are national issues, of course, that uh, drive what's happening in Michigan. Absolutely. And so, you know, all of us have to kind of keep keep up with what's going on, uh, including, you know, the last year, a lot of COVID-related uh, legislation, um, guidance coming from the Centers for Disease Control, 
uh, gosh, it's been it's been quite a year, hasn't a- it? Absolutely. CARES Act funding. Um, it has been a very busy year, both nationally and locally um, within the state and still is. I mean, just just yesterday, the president signed the American Rescue Plan Act. So now we're talking about treat in place. Right. So yep. everything, you know, everything has an effect on what we do. Well, is there anything that we haven't talked about that uh, you'd like to just mention to our listeners before we uh, sign off? One thing, I guess I'm going to say a lot of people, the the history of Moz, there were, I think some, there were some concerns as to what Moz was back, way back and who Moz was way back. Well, you know, it's a new day, boys and girls. And, um, you know, it's, I've got the watch now and, and I, I just encourage everybody, if you have a question, if you have a concern about, about something Moz is working on policy related, pick up the phone, give me a call, shoot me an email. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'm, you know, I'm out here to make sure that we're doing what's best for EMS agencies throughout our state and everything that we do should benefit everybody to the best of our ability. It's not always possible, but it should be done, you know, to the best of our ability. And and I'm going to continue to keep that. And I want to continue to make sure that Moz represents every agency in the state. It doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are. It doesn't matter who your ownership is. We want to make sure that we're adequately representing everybody and, and really trying to stay in touch with the systems that are out there today. So my door is open, as we would have said pre-pandemic. So my cell phone is open. I'm always available for a phone call. I love talking with people to find out what's going on and how we can improve it. Love troubleshooting things with everybody. And please listen, listen to the podcast, get your info, um, join a committee. That would be great. Spread the wealth, spread the work. And then lastly, if you haven't yet, called your state legislator about a reimbursement increase it would be a wonderful birthday present if you please would just pick up the phone take take go. five minutes call your legislator you know run into them at the grocery store try to hit them up well Angela thank you for um, switching places today and moving over into the the seat of the guest and letting me um, handle the guest hosting, I guess. And uh, it's been very informative. Since this is the Moss Monthly Podcast, it's important that all of us know as much as we can about Moss and what Moss is doing. And I want to say thank you for your leadership um, of the group and and all of your hard work representing EMS agencies. Uh, I know that the work you do is vitally important I would say EMS is a tough business to be in, and unfortunately, it's getting tougher. And we've talked about some of those reasons today, such as reimbursement, staffing, uh, things like that that go hand in hand. So uh, MAS plays a very important role in the state. I know we in the industry will continue to do whatever we can do to support um, you and your role in MAS in, in general. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Moz Monthly Podcast, the go-to source for information about Michigan's EMS system. Be sure to visit miambulance.org slash podcast to join the conversation and access other important information from the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services. <laughs>